Welcome back to another Bedknobs and Broomflix mini-show, where we discuss heroic and just plain awesome animals as our favorite familiars, as well as witches in history. My name is Linda, but as usual, you can call me the cheese. And you can call me Jane, or favorite daughter. <laughs> it ties in, trust me. <laughs> I'm Kristen, and you can call me the Wicked Witch of the Beasts. Ooh, oh, I like that one. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, we're uh, we're of course doing uh, our usual uh, mini sewed stuff. We have uh, favorite familiars and witches in history. But uh, first, Jane, can you uh, share your your segment? Okay. So um, first off, uh, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. I know it's late. It's Monday, the eleventh, and not um, the tenth. But we can still. pretend. Yeah, we can pretend. We totally record Every this on day Sunday. Is Mother's Day. <laughs> what ass. world are you living in? <laughs> I don't know. Oh shit! It was then that Linda realized she's the only non-mother. <laughs> you could have got me. My furry children got me nothing. How dare they? I know. They got you bastard. cuddles and fuzziness and butts and faces. Mm. Okay, they got the butts and faces part. <laughs> Look, was it, it not what you wanted? <laughs> they That's what the they money. can offer. It was either that or dead mouse head. Okay, pick your poisons I here. Yeah. I miss I having a cat. <laughs> so, you can borrow one of ours. <laughs> can she be up on dogs? Because the dogs need some reprimanding. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I know which one bitchy. you're talking to. <laughs> talking about. <laughs> Anyways, so this is gonna be a tangent episode. Um, so, I, in honor of Mother's Day, I went on a hunt for mother witches and stumbled across this tidbit in history. So, who has heard of Johannes Kepler? Oh, I, I have. have. Okay, good. I wasn't sure. So, any of you haven't, all good. Um, and by the way, lots of German names and words in here, and I tried to look up pronunciations, and again, I will screw it up so badly and um, send all of your hate mail to me. Linda will probably be the one to read it. So, hey! <laughs> I take no responsibilities. Uh, Linda. <laughs> so... He was a German astronomer, mathematician, and astrologer. He is best known for Kepler's laws of planetary motion, which describe the motion of the plants around the sun. He also wrote a number of books, which provided the foundation for Newton's law of universal gravitation. And if you're a fan of Carl Sagan, he described Kepler as the first astrophysicist and the last scientific astrologer. And he also gets an award for best sun. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Did he get I, like a mug or what? <laughs> <laughs> he really deserved it, honestly, because man, did he go through a lot. So, um, on the case, I will be quoting from a book called "The Astronomer and the Witch: uh, Johann Kepler's Fight for His Mother" mm-hmm. by Ulinka Rublak. <laughs> And again, I am sorry, but you really did. You wrote a really great book, and I'm sorry I can't pronounce your name that well. Uh, So this is the story of Katharina Kepler, uh, Johann's mother. Uh, She was born sometime in 1546. She married Heinrich Kepler. They had one daughter and three sons, one of whom was Johann's. And while Johann's and his younger brother, Heinrich, I'm going to be referring to Heinrich Jr. and Heinrich Sr. um, because they're both going to play somewhat of a part in this. Um, So when Heinrich Jr. was still young, Heinrich Sr. enlisted to become a soldier. The salary was allegedly very good and would allow the family to secure themselves. Um, But the amount of time that Heinrich was gone concerned Katerina. She was worried she would be abandoned, and it was not uncommon for unmarried women to accompany troops for the purpose of sex. So, and again, this is 1500s. So she left her children in the care of a friend and went to bring her husband home. (laughs) Yes. Uh, To establish kind of her personality, because I... She has a lot more personality than what's given in articles. Uh, She did... He did return and then left to fight again. But he eventually did return um, in 1575 to buy a house with her and land and settle down. 
um, Heinrich Sr. would continue to fight up until his death. He's kind of like, um, there was both wars going on during that time. There was also, um, they'd hire out mercenaries, so he'd be sent all over the place. It was, it was good money, um, but it also kept him away, and there's no record of when he died. Um, the assumption right now, I think, is that he probably did die in one of these battles. Um, but what is written is that uh, Katerina still had her youngest son and daughter to care for, her, while Johans and his brother were both teenagers around the time he died. So she was raising four children, for the most part. <laughs> um Whoa. So, and at that time, Catherine would also go on to care for her elderly and widowed father for five years. Uh, that by the end of his life, he left Katerina some money, recording complete love and loyalty and steady, hardworking care was the reason for it. Um, because at the time he would be, he became infirm. So she also would carry him um, around the house um, as assistance. So, yeah, strong, strong woman. <laughs> Um, she did all this while still having four children, two very young to care for. Um, and from her husband, she did inherit a house, fields, and a meadow. And at this point, she was comfortably middle class. And during this time, three of her children, Johans, Christoph, her youngest son, and her daughter, uh, Margarita, made successes in their own right. Uh, Christoph became a master pewter, and Margarita married a pastor. And I know that that's doesn't seem like success by today's standards, but that was probably mm -hmm. one of the best things um, that could have happened for her daughter. Um, she definitely secured a better life for her. Um, and I will get to Heinrich Jr. later, um, but just know that he followed in his father's footsteps. After a handful of failed apprenticeships, he became a soldier. So, and she continued to live in like um, the same town for the longest time. So in 1614, she's nearing the age of 70. She was accused of witchcraft. The number of people who would go on to accuse her was 24 in her town of uh, Leonberg. In the beginning, she would attempt to take those who called her a witch to court for slander. But the governor of the town was also involved in the accusations. Oh, so, of yeah, course. Corruption Damn. always existed. <laughs> yes. Well, and here's what's great. So some of the accusations included the schoolmaster, who was a childhood friend of Johann's as a boy, accused Katerina of magically appearing through closed doors and giving him wine that would eventually paralyze him. What? Uh, yes. So oh, okay. um, it, it should be noted that, uh, and this plays into, he was probably just annoyed at Katerina's insistence because Katerina was illiterate and she had been relying on the schoolmaster to read the letters Johans had been uh, sending from Prague. Where he was work oh. and Leans, where he was um, working and had his own family and had already he was working on his um, you know own scientific astronomical and um, at the time astrological um, work. <laughs> so she was relying on him, and he kind of was like I. It sounded like he was just getting annoyed with her. Um, and the main player in a lot so of the... So you do what you normally do. <laughs> yes. And just accuse them Follow of witchcraft. Witch. I get yeah. it. Exactly. Well, As she's also does. 70 and, um, <laughs> you know, she's old. <laughs> so, and then the main player in this, Ursula Reinbold, um, and her brother stated that Katerina bewitched them and made them lame, which I love the... That was the wording that was used. <laughs> <laughs> that made me laugh for so long. I was like, okay, <laughs> I know what they mean. Lame. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have no idea how much I was like, okay, I know that I know they mean something else, but I just <laughs> I just kept imagining Millhouse in my head. <laughs> Playing with the frisbee by himself or whatever. <laughs> so uh so supposedly Ursula had uh chronic illnesses that um it's not well described what she had, um, but she was also well-connected in town, a number of her family members being connected to the actual court. So the mm -hmm. Reinbold family would be the ones who pushed the accusations the most and gathered a lot more people. Another accusation was a 12-year-old girl alleged that when she passed by Katerina, she hit the girl's arm. Katerina hit the girl, which grew in intense pain with each passing hour that the girl was unable to move one finger. And they really do stress one. It's not she started to lose emotion all of her fingers. It was one finger. And they don't say which one either. Which <laughs> she probably In my like, mind, I want to imagine this. <laughs> She's 12. She was sticking up I, I want finger. to imagine that, like, it was her middle finger that she just went put down. <laughs> like, I, had, I was like, I really wish I knew which finger. But they don't yeah. specify. Look at 
I can't move it down. Yeah. Oh, I was bewitched. <laughs> look, Ma. So look, Ma. <laughs> Strangest thing. Where did you learn that? I, uh, I, the lady hit my arm and I can't put my finger down now. Sorry. She's a witch, Mom. <laughs> oh, and I'm getting to the best one. And uh, Heinrich Jr., her son, who returned home after 25 years of service as a soldier in Imperial Guard in Prague, impoverished and ill. Um, the story goes that he demanded meat from his mother, and when she could not provide any, this is in the winter, so most people weren't also slaughtering you know, cows, he mm-hmm. was one of the first to publicly slander her as a witch. And he Jesus. gets worse son. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, it's, and then, um, so the man who would lead the persecution of Katerina was Lucas Einhorn. Um, it's also written as <laughs> Lutherus Einhorn. Uh, he was a twat. And that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> there is more There is more written on him, um, but uh, I'll leave you with the information that he had already accused 15 women of sorcery and had executed eight. Oh, God. So Einhorn is Finkel. <laughs> I can't. I'm sorry. I can't stop thinking of that. <laughs> Finkel is Einhorn. Okay. I got it out of my system. Please stop. <laughs> Have any more? (laughs) No. (laughs) I think I'm good. (laughs) And so um, as the the accusations grew worse and Katarina's youngest son, Christoph, and um, only daughter were not able to defend her against the mounting accusations, um, Margarita sent word to Johans, um, who at the time was working and living with his own wife and children in Linz. She would go to live with her, um, Katarina would go to live with her daughter and son-in-law before her... um, before her youngest son would take her to Linz, uh, where Johans lived. Because Johans was like, okay, just get her to where I'm living so that you know, people don't kill our mom, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, the journey itself uh, would have had to have been walked. So again, she, she's in her 70s. I really want to stress this. <laughs> um, and as she could not afford to rent a horse, and, and because a lot of her land and property had been seized at this point or had been held, um, and people with carts avoided taking on passengers, she and Christophe would have to walk that. So, oh, and again, yes. she was likely in her 70s at this point. Um, and during this time, Christoph and um, his their brother-in-law would compose letters to Einhorn and others disputing the charges and making points that those who accused their mother either had a reputation for certain illicit behavior or were jealous of their mother's good fortune. Because, again, at the time, she was comfortably middle class, um, you know, through both um, taking care of her father and her husband dying. <laughs> it happens. Uh, this was the 1500s. <laughs> Uh, so, and the case would last for six years, the oh. hearing continually being pushed back and a number of Katarina's properties, possessions, as I said, were being sold to pay her legal fees. Um, in 1619, um, I was, um, so in 1619, officials arrested Katarina, who had actually left Linz and gone back to living with her daughter. It's possible she never did go to Linz, is what some people think, but some people think that she had gone back to living with her daughter because it was hard on Johans and his family as well. Um, so when the officials arrested her due to the, this is how badly they treated her, due to the hot summer, she would sleep naked with only duvet covering her, which is how the guards found her hiding naked in a trunk. They did allow her to dress herself. Um, they then led her to answer for the charges, uh, which according to record, she defended herself clearly and directly. Uh, there was fear from her children that her cognitive abilities would not be where they should be. Um, she would then be imprisoned and chained to the floor for the next 14 months. Uh-huh. Uh, oh during those Yes. During those months, she was threatened with torture if she did not confess. Um, they would basically show her the torture devices and how they worked, and it specifies that they would show them on other people they were trying to get to confess. Uh, there's no record that she personally was tortured, but she also never would confess. She wouldn't confess to witchcraft or anything. So, and at this point, Johans, who had set aside a great deal of his work as a mathematician and astronomer to defend his mom, moved his whole family. So he basically just shut everything. He packed everything away, just put it on hold. And he moved his whole family to Württemberg and put the rest of his life, 
yeah, basically on hold. He had he mm-hmm. gave up his salary. He had to pay all the travel expenses um, to defend his mother against the accusations, which at the time was a very brave thing to do as having a family member accused mm-hmm. as a witch. Most would try to distance themselves from that family member. Uh, and Johann's uh, colleagues never actually knew why he left. He never told them. So because <laughs> it was too dangerous if they thought that he was associated with a witch. Right. So uh, Johans would have, so he would go on to actually like defend her in court and he would have the witnesses, which is, it's, they basically had to take a oath, which uh, quoting from the book, The Astronomer and the Witch, um, witnesses who testified in the, um, excuse my non-speaking German abilities, um, Gulingen. (laughs) Yeah, I did. Sure, I did. (laughs) Hearing raised one arm and three fingers for a properly conducted solemn oath. It was explained to them that they th- thereby called on the power of God, his son, and the Holy Ghost to let them speak the truth. Otherwise, God and his temporal authorities would, in three terrifying ways, punish those bearing false witness. Their fingers or tongue would be cut off in public, and they would be excluded from any honorable company, and their life and soul would be damned. Because as, as much as Johannes was um, a scientist, um, he did have also very deep founded religious beliefs from what I've been reading and understanding. <laughs> so he basically gave the Boy Scouts pledge with the three fingers up. Well, I, I, I don't know where it, it right does now the... to see. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do the Boy Scouts it. say that if you bear false witness, your tongue will be cut off in public? I think cause... so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, in the early days, of course, but yeah, yeah, yeah. By the eighties, I think I, they I... gave that up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When they first formed, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the views that. held by Linda on the Boy Scouts of America. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Linda's opinions do not accurately reflect those of Bedknobs and Broomflakes. <laughs> or any of his associated partners. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Well, and Johan, uh, he would present a list of questions um, for the witnesses uh, to establish. Um, basically, uh, he uses mathematician, his skills as a mathematician, also his training in just um, finding logical explanations in, you know, things that would be associated with witchcraft. So um, his questions for um, the lame school teacher, they also then wanted to call him the lame school teacher or schoolmaster, for instance, were how could he know that the drink had caused his symptoms? Had he not often jumped dangerously and carried as well as lifted heavy loads? Um, and he used, he would talk to his mother um, during her imprisonment to learn about Leonberg's people, their stories and their practices. Um, and again, quoting from the book, Kepler now knew that the schoolmaster had only been offered the job of schoolmaster after he had become ill. Before then, he had done much more physical work. So his paralysis may have been from something earlier. Um, he also made his own evaluation of his mother's way of showing or concealing emotions because a lot of things had to do with them basically judging her. A lot of the towns were judging mm-hmm. her for the fact she was old and she um didn't have a strong like emotional reaction to being accused um and he says it was in her nature he argued not to show many facial expressions no matter whether she was happy or serious but especially when she was ar- when she argued she never looked into anyone's eyes when quarreling but faced them from the side as she tried to focus her thoughts Kempfler emphasized that his mother was bold and fearless in her readiness to stand up to anyone challenging her she typically dealt with unfair comments by warding them off with gestures and words no one he summed up would ever have seen his mother cry so <laughs> Wow. So, and um, he would also establish that Ursula Reinwald and family were behind the accusations and started the false blame, including stating that Ursula um, was a superstitious, irresponsible, factious, self-interested woman who had misinterpreted natural causes and, by implication, had no right to speak in properly conducted inquiry. She had Damn. taken the wrong medicines, but ascribed her symptoms to the imagined witches. And again, I'm still <laughs> quoting from the book. Next, she had used her powerful network by spreading rumors among high-ranking friends, as well as the lowest kinds of people. 
Katerina's civil defense charge had thus turned into a criminal trial in which Katerina now stood accused and faced torture on the basis of vague suspicions. She had never confessed any crime. These matters of life and death needed to be handled with complete legal rigor and in consideration of the fact that even the most reasonable men might err. So, yes, <laughs> he was basically attacking everybody, but with very good um, arguments because, you know, yeah. this was a very – he was – he was stepping outside of the superstitious and into the, look, all this could be handled logically. Right. Um, he would also bring up the fact that other women who had been accused and tortured for witchcraft, none of them would named Katerina as a witch. So even under torture, mm-hmm. these women were just never said her name as part of the list of possible torture. Even when they actually said, like, is Katerina a witch? They'd never say she was a witch. And so, I mean, 70 years old is, is even, like, old now. But, I mean, back then, Jesus Christ. And that was one of the reasons yeah. that they were so suspicious because she lived so long. Like, just right. the idea of the hag was, there must be a reason for this. Yeah, it's it's, right. it's the unfortunate, like, oh, God, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> old crone. <laughs> I knew we'd get back to that at some point. <laughs> oh, crone. So he would then go on to argue how each of the perceived bewitchments can be explained with medical knowledge and common sense. And again, quoting um, that the schoolmaster has lame limbs. Bastion Mayer's wife has perished. The tile maker woman has an open thigh that the bathing master's apprentice felt unwell in his stomach for several hours and threw up. That Stoffel Frick had pain in his thigh for a day or two. By the way, this is all one big sentence. <laughs> so if you're wondering why I'm not breathing, that's why. <laughs> that the deceased pastor's daughter in Gerbersheim has a bad foot. That Daniel Schrendinger's child died. That Holler's daughter felt pain on one arm. That Jerg Balson lost one sow. Oswald Zanjin, one calf. That Michael Stahl's cow became restless and ill, but soon recovered. From these stories and facts, no, sp- no specific deeds of witchcraft will be derived, for many mentally ill women can be found, and many who suppress their monthly bleeding, which looks for another exit through evaporate- evaporation and often causes great trouble in the head and strong pain. Many women who have much blood during their youth and bleed like horses find with them when they remain infertile, like the Reinbold woman. By the way, yes, he really went after Reinbold. I should probably no specify kidding. that. That the excessive bleeding or gall inflames the spirits, um, which causes terrible illness in their head. Many entail vitamin uter, which is part of Reinbold's sterility. Uh, the likewise causes chronic illness and head pain. Every day, many men and women die of lung disease and even more children of other illnesses. One finds many hunched, lame people. Among people who often lift or carry heavily or, ju- or jump, it is not uncommon that their spine is dislocated. That was his. That was all right. Oh yeah, yeah. I this should say that they do mention that um, women were still um, obviously all women were not well looked upon as being um, wealth. It's I think the best way of describing it is um, you're more likely to believe three men than one woman almost. Right. So it's there is a lot of, but it was also a way of establishing saying like, hey, why. Why are we taking the word of somebody who has all these other issues behind her? So, mm-hmm. And he used it. So Johann's arguments worked. And in October of 1621, Katarina was absolved. And Leonberg was ordered to bear part of the considerable cost of her trial and imprisonment. Yeah, he was. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Yeah, you're not going to like this next sentence. Oh, no. um, <laughs> unfortunately, oh, no. Katerina would never return to live among them for fear for her life. So oh. even though she was absolved, um, there was too much risk of, to her life, and uh, she would die six months later at the age of seventy-five. Damn it. Yeah. Aww. Uh. Johans would kind of get his own revenge. He'd go on to write, um, obviously, many books, pieces, not just about the study of, ma- of mathematics and his astronomy work, but one of his pieces called The Dream was a way for Johans to imagine himself powerfully enacting revenge on those who cost his family. 
Damn. Which oh. I um I wanted to quote that, but that would have been a two hour long episode because it was a really great quote. I was like, holy sh <laughs> read the book, The Astronomer and the Witch, trust me. <laughs> I was like, I can't I can't quote this. It's too long. This is like an extra three pages of stuff and this is a mini soap. <laughs> I found it on uh on Amazon. We'll have to link it in our um our episode. I'm going to have to send you a picture of how uh, somebody portrayed uh, Katerina um, as a witch, and oh I'll, I'll send you the picture. It's, I'm, I'm going to send you a couple of images, so you'll enjoy that. But there is a statue of Katerina Kepler in Ultingen, the village that Katerina was born in, which you can currently see. Mm-hmm. Ooh. So, yes. So go there. Trip. Exactly. <laughs> send us to Germany. <laughs> Donate. Do we have a Patreon? Donate to our Patreon so we can go to Germany. <laughs> our well, non actually can go to our, our uh, website at uh, anchor.fm forward slash broomflix, B-R-O-O-M-F-L-I-C-K-S, and support us there. If you like what you hear, we can go on a field trip. <laughs> I should probably double check to see if it's in Germany or Austria because there is a bis- uh, uh, bit of back and forth on this. And again, my knowledge of uh, geography and uh that part of Europe is basically non-existent. Hello, public education. <laughs> oh, no, my sense of geography uh, anywhere, <laughs> like, not so good. <laughs> I, my goal right now in life is to make sure that my son at least knows how to read a map. Just because like, I know oh, how to read a map. Awesome. And I'm thinking like of a phone ever. Like you can't mm-hmm. find it on a phone yeah. because like, you've lost service. He at least knows how to read a Rand McNally. I can at least give him that. That is the extent of the geography. I at least bare minimum I hope he learns. (laughs) It's how to read a map. (laughs) Excellent. Anyways, that's the story. And yes, I will be sending um, pictures because, oh, yeah. Um, Actually, here, I'll send you the link in uh, Skype right now. And if we want to cut out this part. But yeah, you got to check out um, the image that's sent in this. Okay. Uh, Here. There, it actually shows a picture of. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, but Dang. with horns. I know. She has horns <laughs> in that depiction, huh? Hold on, let me Hot with make horns. it bigger. Hot with horns. And, um... Damn. <laughs> <laughs> Those are some horns, all right. Oh, my. She's horny. <laughs> and yes, it is, it is a town in Germany. I really had to make sure that. I was like, oh, God, I hope I'm not speaking wrong. <laughs> but yes, if you post that picture, because I was like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> Oh, that's excellent. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Jane. Uh, I guess that means it is time to move on to... Favorite Yay! (laughs) Yay! All right. I'm going to start it like I started it last time. Picture it. Shanghai, 1936. (laughs) It's going to be my thing. Um, February. The Shanghai Animal Shelter. A I was imagining Miss Saigon for a second. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to break into song. Is she going to break into song? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nobody's like, best person ever. <laughs> <laughs> the musical edition. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Lord. Okay. Yeah, sorry. No, it's okay. <laughs> this is what happens. A red pointer named Kelly gave birth to seven also purebred pointer pups. She belonged to a British couple from Sussex um, that was there just kind of as expatriates hanging out, doing their thing in 1936 China for some reason. I don't know. I wouldn't do it, but, you know. Um, <laughs> do you want to know so the they reason? Were their or... dog. <laughs> well, because it's on the cusp of war, I'm guessing. I don't, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> so, oh. um. One of the pups was a feisty little girl who decided that shelter life wasn't really for her, so she escaped as a little tiny itty-bitty puppy. She escaped the shelter, and she ended up uh, being taken in by a shopkeeper who would keep her in the alley behind the shop for about six months. So, shopkeeper, excuse me, ended up getting into it with some Japanese sailors, and somehow somebody ratted out, I think one of the sailors ratted out... Um, the shopkeeper for having this puppy that belonged, wasn't meant to be on the streets. It's, you know, a purebred pointer. Um, So they alerted the shelter and the shelter came back and got the dog and they named her Shooty. (laughs) 
which was anglicized to Judy, of course. But her mom and her brothers and sisters had already returned to England, so she was kind of on her their own, her own. Excuse me, she was on her own, and um, they ended up having her putting her up for adoption. So in the fall of that year, a British crew of an insect class gunboat, the HMS Nat best name ever, voted to get a mascot. (laughs) So an insect class boat is just basically, it's a gunboat that's kind of smaller than regular gunboats, but it's really heavily armed. So just so everybody knows what those are. Thank you, because I had no idea. (laughs) And they're typically (laughs) meant to be on rivers and things like that. So the HMS Nat was one of the first of these boats to be built ever. So it was, you know, they were all kind of competing for who could have the coolest mascot and everything. And they ended up adopting Judy from the shelter. And she was meant to be trained as a gun dog, which pointers are typically bred for. So that means like, you know, hunt, like when their owners are hunting, they'll go retrieve the carcass of the... um, Like the dog and duck hunt. Basically, but Yeah, I'm just not going to laugh at you and mock you and... (laughs) (laughs) usually it'll just run out bring the duck back gently (laughs) um i used to love that game (laughs) it's the best game so judy they found um that she was being treated too much like a pet the guys just kind of doted on her and nobody was really training her so that didn't happen and the chief petty officer remarked in his notes about judy our chances of making her a trained gun dog are very small so poor judy was not going to be a gun dog she was going to be a pet a mascot for them so now judy (laughs) god guys i'm struggling so bad i'm sorry She's like Wojtek. She is like Wojtek. It's very similar to Wojtek, except Judy did a l- no offense to Wojtek. He was a cool bear and all. <laughs> Judy is a boss ass bitch. I just want to throw <laughs> this out there. Literally. Um, so she one night, pirates were trying to board the ship, like sneak on in the middle of the night. But Judy woke up and was like, nah, and she started barking. So this British gunboat is awoken to these little, you know, cheapy pirate dudes. So needless to say, they lost the element of surprise and they were very easily, you know, repelled off the boat. So that was her first act of heroism, one of many. I, I, I sorry, I, I have an image of being repelled off the boat where they just like, um, sort of like catapult them off yeah. into the water. So I was like, I want that to be true. Right. I know it's not, but it's like, wee! And now I'm just thinking of the cows in uh, Monty Python. Yes, that's what I was like, what, where, what am I thinking of? Cows. Fashion la moche. Fashion la Excellent. So also one cool thing about Judy is she was able to hear hostile Japanese airplanes long before the human crew members could hear them. So she would alert them and let them know that something was coming as well. So she had like a keen sense of hearing, which is awesome. And she was on a walk with the chief petty officer of the boat and they were off the boat just kind of walking during a stop in Juajong. I hope I pronounced that correctly. Um, Judy kept pulling him and yanking on her lead and it was kind of pissing him off a little bit. And he was like, what the heck are you doing? And he turned around. There was a leopard stalking him. Oh man. So act number two, there's going to be a lot of them. Sit tight. There's so many of these. So in June of 1939, Judy and a lot of her crew were transferred to another insect class gunboat, the aptly named HMS Grasshopper. So they were moved over to a British base in Singapore where they stayed for a while. Judy gave her sea legs a break. And um, basically they were hardly used from 1939 into 1942. So she got quite a bit of a break for a while. So it in 1942, it was deployed to help with evacuations and retreating troops during the Battle of Singapore. So it was the Grasshopper and a sister ship called the Dragonfly. I love these names for some reason. And they were on their way to Batvia, Bat... <laughs> Just push your I'm way through the this. way I do with German names. It's okay. <laughs> do it. Batavia. know what we're talking yes. about. Oh my lord. The dragon, okay, hmm. whoop, okay. The grasshopper and his sister ship, the dragonfly, were on their way to 
Batavia in the Dutch West Indies and they were trying to avoid you know meeting up with the Japanese Navy because it wouldn't have been a fair fight really so they were kind of maneuvering through smaller islands just kind of trying to avoid conflict just to get where they needed to go well Judy heard some planes are coming and they had been spotted by these Japanese planes so she was barking and everything and they only dropped one bomb and it did hit the grasshopper but it didn't like hit it directly so it wasn't like a mortal wound or anything like that. But when Judy was asleep, two more planes came, dropped two bombs on the grasshopper and three on the dragonfly. Dragonfly went down quick. The uh, grasshopper was set aflame and was gonna go down pretty, it was gonna be a slow thing, but they had, you know, artillery on the boat and things like that. So it was likely gonna go up quick. So the guys had to evacuate. And as they were escaping, you know, planes are strafing them and everything and then they realize judy's not with us and they're like really upset but they can't go back because they'll all die so they end up on this kind of deserted island this uninhabited island and they're screwed there's no water anywhere they can't find any water except for ocean water and lord knows you can't drink that and um (laughs) they couldn't find a lot of food or anything so they the chief petty officer who was kind of judy's buddy he she the same guy that got saved from the leopard and things like that. He went back to the boat to kind of get some supplies to see if they could salvage anything as this boat is burning. He's like, we need something or we're going to die. So he goes back onto the boat and is kind of feeling around in the dark, gets a few supplies. And then he feels Judy and she's still breathing and she's still alive and she's basically fine. She's just kind of stuck under some lockers. So he gets her out and he gets gets her back to the island And almost um, within a couple days, you know, they're starting to get dehydrated. Things are bad. Judy randomly starts digging out of nowhere. She just starts digging and digging and digging. And all of a sudden, like two minutes later, there's an underground spring. (laughs) She finds them water. And then, (laughs) yeah, so there's so much that happens with Judy, guys. I don't know how much of this is real or myth. In my mind, Judy found herself water. (laughs) They just happened to benefit. Yes, Yes, exactly. But she while also they would... happen to shit rainbows. <laughs> That's so in the children's she... book I'm writing. <laughs> Judy shit rainbows. Um, so also with um, with the guys, they had to sleep kind of in the open on the beach, but there were snakes and rats oh, and God. things like that. And Judy would protect them and also turn said rats and snakes into food for them. So she got them food as well. Oh, my God. Yeah. So hold on, let me. I love her so much. She's and it only gets better, Linda. I'm telling you, this was supposed to be a mini episode. Judy Dunn kicked it into double episode territory here. So the long mini episode yes. because of both of our stories. The, the it could have been a mini, but mini. no. <laughs> so they were there for five days before a boat picked them up, and they were hoping to connect with British forces to get them to Sri Lanka. Mm. Naturally, that didn't happen because nothing is easy in Judy's life. So when the boat couldn't continue the journey because the rivers were too narrow, they began, the soldiers on board that were able, began a journey of 200 miles. Now, not like, you know, walking the streets or anything, Sumatran jungle, basically, so. So every single thing that I know about, like, backpacking and mountaineering is like, my brain's going, no! (laughs) (laughs) But they had Judy, so... They began a trek to Padang where they were hopeful that they would at least be able to get on a boat and get out of there, get back to Britain. So, like I said, this was dense, populated, uh, unpopulated, wild jungle. And Judy was attacked by an alligator. (laughs) She had a (laughs) six inch cut (gasps) on her shoulder, but the soldiers used what they had left of their first aid kit to fix her up. Yay. That's how important Judy was to them. They were great guys. So she was, you know, taken care of and they stitched her up and then they started going. And along the way, she would alert them to predators. And one soldier even claimed she saved him from a Sumatran tiger. I don't know exactly how, 
Yeah, but I know how did. how did this work? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's she like, did she scare wings. it off? <laughs> like in my brain, I'm like, I'm basically like here. Like if you could see me at home, I'm like, like using my hands to be like, okay, it's this small, that big. Yeah, percentage difference wise. Oh shit. <laughs> That's why I'm like, how much of this is just myth, and how much of this is true? But I mean, you know, the myths are fun too. But they were, um, when they got to Padang, the Japanese forces were waiting for them. Hmm. Yeah. They were thrown into a prisoner's (laughs) camp and Judy was smuggled in under empty sacks of rice. She was fed whatever scraps they could find and any time they moved camps, they made sure that Judy was with them all the way. They would not abandon her. So typically her diet consisted of, you know, old rice and scraps of leather. So that's also kind of like Wojtek. He was eating cigarette butts, but (laughs) maybe a step up above that. I don't know. (laughs) And beer. And beer. No beer for Judy. Yeah, no beer. (laughs) Yeah. And life at camp as, you know, if you know anything about these Japanese prison camps, it was torture, days, months, years of torture for these guys, but Judy was kind of like their little ray of sunshine. So she would bring them snakes, rats, and scorpions because, you know, they didn't have much to eat, so they would make do with whatever Judy would bring them. Now, at one of these camps, she met a man who she would spend the rest of her life with. They didn't get married or anything. I know that sounds kind of like bestiality <laughs> coming out. But she I really loved her. animals. <laughs> yes. What? Well, I didn't want to say owner because he referred to her as his partner. So it's kind of cute. His name was Frank Williams. And he was, of course, a fellow prisoner there. And he would give her part of whatever meager meal he received. And she kind of just... It's like they were were soulmates. She just kind of clung to him and he took care of her. And he convinced the commandant of the camp one night, who was very, very, very drunk on sake, to make her an official prisoner of war. To give her, you know, kind of some protection. Because, you know, just being a dog, they can shoot her and whatever. But if she's a prisoner of war, there's rules. So he did. Drunk commandant signed it and... She was the, she has been the only prisoner of war that was an animal ever. So good for her. (laughs) Um, So let me see, where was I? Sorry. In June of 19... This is where I like disavow like half of my heritage. (laughs) I'm just like, oh God. (laughs) Sorry. I'm sorry. It's okay. I I, I look white enough. Well, just to kind of give you an idea of how long this went on. So it wasn't until June of 1944 that the prisoners were going to be transferred to Singapore by boat. And of course, dogs were not allowed. So Frank trained her to hide in a rice bag and be completely still and completely silent. And she did it. So he oh got God. her on board and... And the rice survived. <laughs> there was no rice, I, I hope. I'm just imagining, like, my dog... I'm just imagining my parents' dogs. It'd be like, you stick them in a rice bag. It's like, yeah, that, uh, that's not... Even if it's uncooked, that's not yeah. gonna last. Usually yeah. they say for no rice. <laughs> so when he got on board, the first three hours, there's like 700 prisoners on board and they're all on deck for three hours in sweltering heat and the whole time... Judy did as she was trained, and she was never caught. So, oh, my God. Damn. Th- this dog, I, I'm telling you, she's like, she's otherworldly. She's a superhero <laughs> or something. I don't know. But. Flaming sword. What's that? Sorry, I missed. I, I said flaming sword. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I, I, I'm designing an art piece now in my head that I'll never be able to draw. She's a flaming sword. <laughs> Sprouted wings. <laughs> the pooping rainbows thing has to be Halo. <laughs> that or she she farted rainbows and and pooped gold. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can throw anything in there at this point. <laughs> Basically, that's what's happening. So, um, true story. <laughs> so, like. Probably a few days in, the ship they were on was actually torpedoed by another, you know, one of their compatriots, a British ship. And in a frantic attempt to give Judy a chance to make it, Frank had to shove her out of a porthole into the ocean. Ah. Yeah. And it's to save himself, he had to kind of just run haul ass off the boat. So he was... 
he didn't know if Judy made it because it was a 15 foot drop into the ocean that she fell from. Oh my God. Yeah. So after, you know, he was on the boat trying to get out, he had no idea if she made it. He was recaptured right away by the Japanese and he was sent to another camp. And after a few days of mourning his friend, you know, his Mm. partner, he heard talk of a dog who was saving drowning passengers. (laughs) Dragging debris to them. What else is she going to do? Right. She was dragging whatever she could get, whatever was floating, to the soldiers and allowing the soldiers to hang on to her while she swam to shore. Oh my God. Because of fucking course. Of course. So he knew it had to be Judy, but he was still not confident that she was going to, that she made it out of that even because 500 of the 700 uh, prisoners did die. So one of the old HMS Grasshopper crew who had taken care of Judy on and off prior to them getting captured, his name was Les Sarl and he spotted her at the dock and he tried to smuggle her back. You know, he got recaptured as well and he tried to smuggle her back to the prison camp and in the back of a truck, but a Japanese soldier saw him and threatened to shoot the dog. But the new commandant was like, nope, she's a prisoner of war. You can't do that. So good on them for doing that. (laughs) And she was allowed to travel with Sorrow in the truck that they were transported by. So Frank was sad and was giving up, you know, because you're in a torture camp. What are you going to do? You lost your only... Right. You know, buddy. And he saw this familiar figure come running across the camp to him. He said it was like this, quote, I couldn't believe my eyes as I entered the camp. A scraggy dog hit me square between the shoulders and knocked me over. I had never been so glad to see the old girl. And I think she felt the same. End quote. I'm like getting teary. Oh, So cute. (laughs) So... They were there for four weeks and they were sent into jungles again. The jungles that Judy had to fight to escape. They were sent back there to clear the jungles for a railway system. So Judy was back at it, protecting the prisoners and the guards this time from any wildlife, alerting them when there were bigger predators like elephants that she couldn't handle. So she couldn't handle everything, not elephants. But um, I'm sure she could. She just didn't. yeah, right. <laughs> so the prisoners were given small <clears throat> rations of maggot-infested tapioca, and that was all they were given. Uh-huh. But Frank was sure to make sure that he shared with Judy, and he was also kind of worried because the rations were so bad that someone in desperation may actually eat Judy. So he he oh, was God. like keeping her extra close because he was not going to let her go again. So oh. in early 1945. Judy apparently growled at the wrong Japanese soldier who was chasing her, and mm. he was shooting at her, and a bullet grazed her shoulder. Oh, so God. same shoulder that got attacked by the elephant. I don't know if it was a shoulder that I, I God, I hope not. But I don't know. They didn't specify. So the only way that Frank was able to treat her was with a palm frond and literally nothing else. But what is oh Judy? My God. She is a boss ass bitch. She survived. She was okay. Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. So they moved to yet another camp. And it was there that Judy was sentenced to death because there was a lice outbreak. And of course, it had to have been Judy because she's a dog. So Frank sent her out of the camp. It was like one of those, go, I don't need you anymore. Just go. She's looking back and... And I oh, couldn't God. understand why he was sending her away. And he goes, I don't want oh, you. And he threw God. a pebble at her. I don't know that that happened, <laughs> but it sounded good. Henderson's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she disappeared. Yeah, she disappeared for three days in the jungle. But during that time, the Japanese army decided to abandon the camp and leave all the prisoners there because they were losing the war. So, yeah, she returned before the Allied troops came, but after the Japanese had left. And then, um, so she survived that, too. And once again, she was having to be smuggled onto a boat because the British troop, I can't pronounce this word, antenna? Yeah, okay. So the British troop antenna, which is just the boat to transport soldiers, was um, not allowing animals on, of course. Because why would they? 
But Frank was like, but they don't know she's magic. I mean, she's not a dog. She's. Uh, Did they not see the gold coming out the back? No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Guess not. This is what I'm going to make was... go on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> So she was shoved in another rice bag, and um, he was able to keep her hidden until they were, like, three days out from Liverpool, and the leaders were like, you know, no, we don't want this. The leader was pissed. Like, the lead, I don't know what his title was, because it just said the head of the boat or something like that. I don't remember. But he um, was like, no, this dog can't be on there, and there was a barrister on there, and it's like, that was like, no, she needs to stay because she is his property. Mm-hmm. You can't make him get rid of his property. There was some law. I don't know law, basically. So it was just, <laughs> she was allowed to return to Liverpool. But um, she wasn't home free yet. She had to be quarantined for six months when she got there. But Frank visited her every day. And uh, people off the HMS Grasshopper were there every day visiting her. She had a bunch of people visiting her. So she was never alone. But once she was released, um, she and Frank went to London and she was the toast of the town for a while. She was, she received what was called the Dickin Medal, which is an animal equivalent of the Victoria Cross. And. Oh, okay. Yeah. And she met famous actor David Niven, who said she was, quote. Oh my God. The loveliest bitch he had ever clapped eyes on. (laughs) End quote. <laughs> That's what my husband said to me. <laughs> that was in your vows. <laughs> How funny. Dude, Linda, you're the loveliest bitch I've ever clapped my <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, it. <laughs> so romantic. This is all romantical. <laughs> <laughs> but once all the partying was done, Frank had to get back to work. And he ended up taking her to Tanzania to run a nut plantation in 1948. So she she was able to finally relax. She ended up having a litter of puppies. And in 1950, she was found to have a mammary tumor. No. And she survived so much, but not the mammary tumor. She was put down and buried on the plantation. And the workers and Frank made a very special granite grave marker for her. And it's still there to this day. So you can see it. Another field trip, if you will, to Tanzania. Maybe. Oh. I, I'm all for that. I'm all for trips. <laughs> yes. Linda's not Once so everything shy. opens up, I want to get out of here. <laughs> right. Yes. Please and go also, to anchor.fm. <laughs> and give us some money, please. We love you. So, <laughs> include money for Kristen to go as well, please. And um, <laughs> the workers. We won't leave it behind. Oh, Don't worry. <laughs> there is also. Um, Ohana means family, means no one can. <laughs> okay, side, side story. Okay. I actually have trained my dog to, uh, when I say Ohana, he gets his uh, his little loveys, his little stuffed animals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because if he leaves them behind, I just say, Ohana, Ohana, <laughs> and he goes and grabs it. He's <laughs> <laughs> really cute. So cute. It's adorable. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, because he used to take them outside. And then I'm like, you can't leave family oh. outside, Ohana. <laughs> 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 But yeah, sorry. So, Lizzie, well, you know that okay. when he actually yeah. does leave one outside, he's like, no, that one has been disowned. <laughs> he made some bad remarks. He wronged me in some he way. He knows what he did. <laughs> <laughs> so with Judy, there is currently a movie being financed about her. It's I was trying to find some info, like, you know, who's making it? What's going on? It's just being shopped around right now, but it's being financed. And there is also an amazing book by Damian Lewis, not the actor, just a guy named Damian Lewis, <laughs> called Judy, the Unforgettable Story of the Dog Who Went to War and Became a True Hero. So that's on Amazon if you are so inclined. Oh my God, yes. So that's Judy. She's exhausting. Yay! She's so extra. <laughs> <laughs> oh my 
my god and i i'm wondering if i i'm trying to look it up but i i want to say that uh Charami, the um the pigeon received pigeon. a similar medal as maybe uh, hmm, i guess maybe not but um, i can look up the dick in medal. <laughs> it makes me think of uh sergeant stubby a lot too and shout out to the uh the animators who made the Char- sergeant stubby movie that was freaking amazing and they're amazing but um, see that i really want to see this movie now <laughs> let me let me see if i can get the recipients of the dickin though as while we're here let me see if sharon mm-hmm. got one. Oh my god there's a lot of them so i'm not gonna read them off but i'll see if sharon <laughs> on there uh no i don't think so uh, i don't dang. see Jeremy. oh well. damn but there's a oh, lot you know there are so many animals with this when I went to London, there was this uh, special monument and uh, like near one of the parks, and mm-hmm. it had uh, just it was just a, a statue built for all the the animals that contributed and uh, did their part in the war, and it was just really there's really a sweet. lot of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, there's there's so much fodder for this segment. It's crazy. <laughs> there's so much out there. I'll have to see if I can find my um, my picture of the the statues because it was really really awesome. Oh nice! But, um, thank you so much for sharing that. That's amazing. Thank you. And I thank think you for that like me. at this point, <laughs> yeah. No, thank you actually for movie? just joining us. Yeah, at this yes. point, two of you need to go to bed. One of you more than the other. Yes. <laughs> Based off of my knowledge of time zones right now. <laughs> yeah, it's only twelve thirty. Um, Oh God! Yeah, poor Carlo's <laughs> got to work at four in the morning. So, um, is he still working from home though? Right, or does he have yeah, to go thank in? Thank God! Yeah. Okay. I was just like, um, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, we're blessed in that. But uh, I guess this is the time where I say, please, please, please listen, subscribe, rate, and review Bedknobs and Broomflicks on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser and all other podcast platforms. And uh, with that being said, I don't know who we thanked already so i figured they wouldn't mind being thanked again so really quickly thank you so much for putting a review on apple podcast uh, to ked mumu uh skywalker that's 0, me 29. actually i'm ked mumu huh? are you really i really am <laughs> <laughs> she gets an in-person you're welcome over the voice. thank you <laughs> thank you so much you're welcome <laughs> get a response back for the thank you that's never happened before <laughs> don't give the other reviewers any ideas <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> linda will personally call you <laughs> oh my god well uh sunny lala was our first uh so i mean she was a guest on here so <laughs> i mean I, I guess we're, we're getting like some sort of um trend going here <laughs> thank you also to skywalker 0429 uh christy k hello and no odph 607 i believe that is um uh um oh, oh my god i can do this ocho duro uh parlay hour god i did it. yeah you got it okay <laughs> <laughs> high five from a distance <laughs> I, they, they left this review for us in february and i finally just got around to listening to their uh their show so i'm pretty goddamn lame um, also lame as in millhouse <laughs> lame or broken lame <laughs> did a witch hit ya <laughs> yes make you lame <laughs> Jane's a witch I tell ya she made me lame <laughs> oh, <crow. laughs> the FOF pod uh Ashelette uh Katie and Odie from uh our buddies from uh for your reference uh derelict 88 love it uh ABP finance uh, that's a bingo and once again Sunny Lala <laughs> yay from uh yay. uh book of lies love her too but mm-hmm. uh yeah thank you so much for all your help and for uh for reviewing us we we definitely appreciate it and it it immensely helps us out like i i cannot begin to to really stress just how much we appreciate it and and love you and maybe a little bit more than friends like maybe in that uncomfortable way like friends with benefits how you doing 
I, I, I love you as friends. The views of Linda do not express the views of the other hosts of this podcast. I'm so I am not that touchy-feely. I'm single. I am. <laughs> Linda and I have discussed my thirst at Grand Lake. <laughs> well it's okay because uh jane and i have already asked and i'm gonna put put it out there again we want pics of your kitties <laughs> show us them kitties <laughs> and puppies too please mainly the kitties mainly the kitties well uh, i i i've been uh, i mean you know me i have right now my cousin has her um foster God, cat yes. mama cat with the kittens oh yeah, and I've been loving those. So if you send me pictures of other cats and kittens, I'll just add to my joy. <laughs> so, <laughs> Like, no joke, uh, after I found out that my dad had passed, uh, I had Rudy, my dog, cuddling with me. And uh, then I had a cat behind me on the back of the couch and one cat on the other side of my lap. And I was like, oh my God, this is my happy place. (laughs) They know. What do we do to deserve animals? I mean, come on. That's, that's so sweet pets are just do? awesome when they're, they're awesome um, <laughs> someone they forget yeah. it's mother's day exactly and shove their butts in your face <laughs> but yes please send us pictures of your animals we love them um also i'd say you can find me on the weekly podcast cages kiss the nicholas cage podcast i believe now we should be covering uh the crudes the crudes was our latest episode so uh jane what you got going on where can people find you you cannot find me painting myself to blend in against brick walls (laughs) (laughs) that's how we met (laughs) hey hey is that wall talking to me (laughs) (laughs) podcast And what about you, Kristen? <laughs> um, Linda found me behind a dumpster at the 7-Eleven. And I said, no, I'm just um, So I'm the, <laughs> I'm the hostess of Coffee Cast, the most cheerful podcast about death ever made in the history of podcasts. And because I have nothing but time this, these days and I'm a glutton for punishment, I also have a second podcast called Dispatches of Disassociation, where I write and play the character of Bonnie, a woman who found love right before quarantine hit and is exchanging letters with her beau like they did in the Civil War or something. So uh, we have several people joining us to fill out the cast, including someone you may know is going to be joining us hopefully in the next couple weeks. <laughs> Maybe. I'm sensing a uh, winking sort of motion. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And it's a lot of fun. It's been so much fun. It's been a, kind of a nice break to kind of do some creative writing and I'm doing it with some really cool guys and that sounded bad when I said it. <laughs> some real cool cats. Not doing the proverbial it. Just doing the podcast <laughs> with I feel really like the cool more guys. you say things, the bigger the hole gets right <laughs> now. Just <laughs> Stop. Okay. You can find me on Twitter at CoffinCast with a capital C or at D Disassociation for the other podcast as well. Yeah, and that's C-O-F-F-I-N-C-A-S-T. It is so awesome and so educational. Um, I absolutely love it. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I really mean Shucks. it. Like I, I mean, I, I think we talked about it with uh, with Sunny before. Like, there's just so many um, other podcasts that want to do like to uh, review each other, and you know, there's just this sigh of relief when it's actually a good podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to leave a review of like. Wow, they sure did well, talk. Yeah. <laughs> this represents a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked this sound. <laughs> they picked good music. Yeah. <laughs> Slamming intro music. <laughs> yeah. It was dot 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 interesting. <laughs> I learned yeah, so it's much. Good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, question mark. Could go on and on. <laughs> 
And also, uh, if you can go on and please help us by going to podcastmagazine.com forward slash hot 50, that's H-O-T five zero, and voting for Bedknobs and Broomflicks and Cage's Kiss and, of course, Coffin Cast uh, as your third. We would greatly, greatly, greatly appreciate it. And uh, just Vote early and often. <laughs> Oh, yes. <laughs> Just let us know Change that we, your you did email address. <laughs> we'll give you a shout out on Twitter and we will give you a shout out on air here. And for uh, Cage's Kiss, we're doing a KG shout out. So um, please just let us know that you did and we greatly appreciate it. Uh, until then, I'd like to thank Doug Walters and Redwire Blackwire for allowing us to use their song Compass. Go check out their music and the music from Doug's new band, Oddness. That's O-D-D and E-S-S-E. And Jane, what the hell are we doing next? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, I feel like you almost forgot what was going on there. <laughs> I was like, am I being let in or what's happening? <laughs> Our so, mini episode just went over an hour. <laughs> oh, I think you should call this maybe a bonus episode. I think it's bypassed mini, mini like episode. an hour ago. <laughs> Time zones of tiredness. <laughs> So you'll hear from us again when we cover The House of the Witch, which you can find streaming on Netflix, Hoopla, or Sci-Fi's app. Enjoy. Linda's already watched it, and I feel like I am in for a quote-unquote treat. So far, I can tell you woof. Like, emphasis on woof. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting. (laughs) But yeah, until then, what's that got to do with my knob? Oh, crap! (laughs) Hey everyone, you're invited to Harpy Hour! I'm Tracy. I'm Liz. I'm Steph. We are the Harpies. And Harpy Hour is our new podcast featuring ridiculous stories in history, science, and entertainment. Were you ever suspicious that pigeons were secretly spying on you? How do you know who to eat first if you survive a shipwreck? Do problematic musicals send you into an uncontrollable rage? If so, then Harpy Hour might be your new favorite podcast. That's H-A-R-P-Y for Harpy, and new episodes air every Tuesday wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also find us on all social media at Harpy Hour Pod. And check us out on harpyhourpodcast.com. Okay, bye!